your personal political background and working with other um, politicians in the past really is from the um, free market wing of the, uh, the Republican Party. Um, it, we're in kind of a non-traditional time right now. Our, our current president is not a traditional establishment Republican president. Um, I wonder from the perspective of someone like yourself, what are the challenges for free market um, uh, thinkers uh, on the Republican side to work on policies in light of where the president and the administration is on issues, for example, like trade? Right. Well, the good news is I think we were aligned on some of the tax uh, reform proposals that now become law and are very centered on pro-growth policies, and we're seeing and reaping the benefits of that in a very short period of time. But some of us, um, myself included, do have concerns about sort of the populist rhetoric that the administration has used around trade. And that's probably the one area, if we're not smart, about making sure we're strengthening and maintaining these relationships with other countries to level the playing field for American workers um, and our consumers, where we could actually have our economic growth derailed. And so that's absolutely a concern. So um, the bottom line is, you know, for the countries we have agreements with, um, you add them all up, we have a surplus with those countries. And this is about leveling the playing field and, you know, for, for our workers and, and, and for our manufacturers uh, here at home. But it is easy to use the rhetoric or the protectionist model, for instance, on trade, and that can get people pretty fired up without really understanding today's world of integrated supply chains and the fact that a lot of uh, what our consumers buy come from around the world. And so we're being assertive on that front on the trade front. So we've been going, for example, through a lot of the negotiations that have been taking place with the new modernized NAFTA. And we should modernize NAFTA. Uh, but the Ways and Means members in, in the House are participating in those and are present and are relevant um, uh, and are reemphasizing with the administration um, the correct direction to go. So you talked about the House Ways and Means Committee members. One of the dynamics that I think is unusual and maybe even historic right now is the number of Republicans on the Ways and Means Committee um, who have retired or who are leaving to run for higher office. The prospect of turnover among Republicans on the committee is probably at an all-time high. What's your sense of the risks and opportunities of that trade? Well, the opportunities aren't for any of us. We're just moving up a little bit yeah. on the ladder, obviously. There'll be new subcommittee chairmanships that are open. Uh, at the same time, we're going to lose a lot of institutional knowledge for some, from some really good people. Uh, Dave Reichert has been a strong advocate um, for ESCIP, for instance, and employee ownership. Um, now, many of us will be able to fill in the gaps, um, and I think we're going to have a new crop of folks that will be bright, shining stars on that committee because the people who want to get on Ways and Means tend to really care about tax and trade and health care policy. Um, and not just, uh, you know, um, sort of lead on the political front, but actually lead on the policy front. And so um, I think the committee will be in solid good hands with Chairman Brady still at the helm uh, down the road, and um, things will be just fine. There are a lot of um, special interests in Washington, though, who have some really technical issues. And, and as much as you talk about institutional knowledge on the committee, um, outside advocates like those from AFCA and elsewhere think about, you know, building up a... Um, reservoir of understanding of what can be some very technical issues sometimes. So what advice can you give to the USAC community or others about how you quickly um, get people to get up to speed on very complicated issues when they're new to the committee? Yeah, and, uh, and it won't even just be members of the committee that are going to be new. It's actually going to be you know broader turnover that happens in the House or in the Senate for that matter. And so I think what ESCA has done a really good job of, especially over the last few years, is getting to know new members, building relationships, and then actually having their members come in and sit down and share their story, what they're about, why certain provisions of the tax code have actually helped um, 
not only provide retirement security for a lot of employees across the country, but ultimately improve the standard of living and have stronger local communities and local economies where these companies are located that are ESOPs, for instance. And so it really is about continuing that sit-down with your members, ESCA members, and whoever might be a stakeholder on a certain tax issue. It takes education. And by and large, most members of Congress are willing to sit down and learn. Can you talk about policy things from the ESOP community that really aren't partisan at their heart? They tend to be issues that are of interest across party lines. One of the things that we know you for and that others know you for is your commitment to bipartisanship. In 2015, I found it interesting that you were one of the House members who had introduced bills that had the most number of bipartisan co-sponsors. And yet here we are in 2018, and things have become a little more partisan on Capitol Hill. We could say that, for example, the tax bill where many folks wanted to have a bipartisan engagement didn't really turn out that way. At the end, it was largely driven by Republican leaders. And certainly in the House, there weren't Democrats both. So how important is bipartisanship going forward, and how do you think we get back there? You know, bipartisanship is really important. And it's not just to show our constituents that we work together and get along. Ultimately, if you're going to have really good policy product that's enacted, you've got to have that ability to work across the aisle. Because the pendulum is always going to swing back and forth. You're going to have new leadership. No one party is going to be in charge forever and ever. And so that just essentially means that if you want to be effective as a representative, you've got to build those relationships to get your policies and build bridges and find common ground, regardless of who the leaders are. And the leaders do not have a lot of issues. But I think we'll continue to see some important work that's done on some issues, primarily in Ways and Means Committee, again, on a bipartisan basis. And I think ESCA has done a pretty good job of also rolling in support on both sides of the aisle for issues that, again, strengthen the economy and strengthen local businesses and communities as opposed to sort of partisan bickering. I think ESCA's members want very much to see you back helping to lead the effort to champion the ESOP messages and interests in Congress next year. And yet we know that in the 2018 midterms, there are some important dynamics happening outside of Washington. You know, it's pretty well understood inside the Beltway that a number of the suburban, highly educated districts around the country, especially yours in the 3rd District in Minnesota, but certainly in others, are right now under threat and that existing incumbents are going to have to work very, very hard to keep their seats. What do you think that candidates like you, candidates like you in states like Illinois and Pennsylvania, need to do in order to hold office? Well, I think what we need to continue to do for those of us who sit in districts that are technically swing districts and unfortunately have to sort of undergo every two years, you know, not just running against a challenger, but ultimately having lots of outside groups come in and spend a lot of money, for instance, to try to influence the outcome of those elections. We just need to continue to stick with our own brand and make sure that we're working with folks and being good listeners to people on both sides of the aisle. And I can tell you in Minnesota in particular, people vote for the person, not for the party. And they will ticket split and go back and forth. And by and large, we need to see more of that, I think, across the country. I think that's a really good model to actually follow. And I think by, again, toning down some of that political rhetoric, you know, the president can kind of tweet things and get people excited 
uh, for instance, uh, in, in a very quick, short amount of time. But you know, having sort of steady, confident, reasonable, results-oriented leadership, I think, has served us well for those of us that uh, um, have been successful and continue to work uh, and be listeners to everyone in our district, whether they vote for us or not. Well, speaking for ESOP companies, I can say that we appreciate your consistent and steady leadership. We hope that ESOP stay part of your brand, um, and we'll look forward to hearing more from Congressman Paulson. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.